Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. Good morning. It is good to see everyone this morning. So glad you're here and we're worshiping together, and uh, I hope you're happy. But it's the truth, though, right? Everybody wants to be happy. Everybody. We get done with the day. We want to have a happy day. We get done with our life. We want to have a happy life. We want to have a happy marriage. We just add happy to everything, and then we feel good about it, right? So Pharrell Williams, when he wrote that song, which is the title track for Despicable Me, he shared the story that that was his uh, either fourth or fifth attempt. And so he had shredded the three or four other ones that he had tried to write. And uh, this interviewer asked him, well, what, what was the deal? He goes, man, I was just at the end of myself. He goes, I, just, I, I, I was just done with my lyrics. I had no lyrics that were, were good. It just wasn't working. And he goes, when you get to the end of yourself, you go back to kind of the, the basics. And so I asked a question of myself. I said, I said, what is it that would relate universally to the masses? What is it that everybody wants to sing about? And he said, happiness. And that's how he came up with that song. He wrote the song and an Oscar nomination later, a couple Grammys later, and over one billion hits on YouTube later. I think he nailed it. Happiness. I think he found a universal desire that links us all together. We want to be happy. Now, everybody will evaluate their happiness differently, right? We're all going to have our different idea of what happiness is. Some of it, it's going to maybe start with a good career. A good career, I'll be happy. A great spouse. X number of dollars in a retirement account. A good X number of whatever it happens to be for my annual wage. I'll get happy. Money, stuff, power. I'll be happy. Opportunity. Adventure. It's as if we have these building blocks that we used to play with when we were kids, and we just add it all up. If I get enough of the building blocks in just the right places, I'll create this life that I've always wanted. And I'll get to the end of that life, and it will be happy. And I'll have some ups and downs, because we all know that exists. I'll have some moments where I'm a little bit more happy than I am other times. But for the most part, if I can put all the blocks in just the right way, in the right fashion, then I'll be a uh, I'll be good, and I'll get to the end of this life and give a couple hip, hip, hoorays on my way out and know that I've lived happy. The problem is we, just, we know what happens with those blocks that we build. Somebody comes by and knocks it over. If you were in my family with six boys, you hit around the corner waiting to knock it over. Eh, pa, 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 and somebody would cry, we would laugh and knock it over again and go, be quiet, right? I mean, that, that's what we did. And doesn't it seem like that's almost like what life is? Somebody's waiting around the corner to knock down what we have put together as, as this ideal, happy life. Happiness. We're all going after it. You know, I think we look at the culture around us and we see people living what appears to be a happy life. You know, they're, they're laughing. They live seamlessly, uh, carefree. And we get a front row view of their life in 160 characters or less as they put their favorite pictures of their most admirable and happy moments on Instagram. 
or other social media. They're the perfect moments. They're just the right filtered pictures. They, there's a host of pictures that was taken that day. That one, that's the one I'm going to put up, right? Because, because it's got the biggest smiles. It's got the biggest things. It's got the whatever. I'm going to know how great and happy my life is. Yes! That's the one we put up. We can get the opinion that everybody is happy but us. By the way, if you're struggling with being unhappy, turn off Instagram. It's not helping. Justin Bieber, who we should always quote, had this to say about Instagram. He said, hey, world, he posted this in quotes. Hey, world, that glamorous lifestyle you see portrayed by the famous people on Instagram, don't be fooled that their life is better than yours. It's not. That I can promise. End quote. You see, to have and achieve this desire for happiness, we'll buy into the slogans, the ads, the philosophies that promise happiness either explicitly or implicitly. Money can buy you some things, but it can't buy you everything. Most importantly, it can't buy you contentment, peace, or happiness. It can buy you a bed, but it can't buy you a good night's sleep. It can buy you medicine, but not health. It can buy you a book, but not intelligence. It can buy you amusement, but it can't buy you happiness. We all want to be happy, and yet depression, anxiety, mass shootings, murders, suicide are all at an all-time high. Where's this happiness that we're so desperately running after and that we want, that we've etched out as the the premier thing for our life that we have to have. What are we missing? Where is this life that we desire so much? How do we find it? Can it be found anywhere is the question we're left with. Is it just a free-for-all, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and you put it together and you get a mixture and somehow or another you wind up with happiness? Is that what it is? If I just find the right balance... Or is it actually in the extremes? i got to go to the extremes. Is it in my education? Is it in my career? Is it in my relationships? Where do I find the happiness? And maybe because you've gathered here with us today. Maybe because you came to a place that we call church. That we talk about God. Maybe the, the biggest question is, does God want us to be happy? Is that even his desire? Because sometimes we might think, man, you're doing a pretty lousy job at making it happen if it is your desire, God. Because I don't feel real happy. Or for others of us, hey, yeah, God gets it. I'm happy. Or does God have anything to do with it? This desire to become happy really comes from our selfish desire, our own ambitions as we look at our lives. Today, I want to tell you something that's absolutely true. I want to tell you that God desires for us to be happy. It's literally his desire. He put the desire in us. Oh, we've changed it, and we've manipulated it, and we've, we've done all sorts of things with that desire. There's no doubt about it. But he absolutely put the desire in us to be happy, to be content, to be fulfilled, to be satisfied 
be full of joy and peace and hope. Listen to what the pastor says in John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Happiness built on the things of this world. The external things that we can accomplish and we can achieve. The building blocks, if you will, will be destroyed. There's not one thing that you built with building blocks at one time in your life as a child, one of your Lego masterpieces that is still in existence today. It's not there. It will be destroyed if it's based upon external factors. It'll go away at some point. Everything erodes. Everything disappears. I have had the incredible fortune of sitting at the bedside of many who have passed away. And one of the latest ones that I had a chance to sit next to was Stanley Calkin. Stanley, just an amazing man, was at such peace with the position of life he was at. His life was well lived, but it wasn't about the external circumstances. There was something very, very deep in him that understood that life wasn't about what he had or didn't have. The last days of his life, the last few years of his life were spent in Nursing homes and convalescent homes and, and, and wheelchairs and being taken care of and people coming in and people going out. It doesn't matter what we've done. A World War II veteran who flew missions and was a pilot and on and on and on and on had what so many of us run after in terms of wealth and prestige and influence and everything else. But at the end of his life, guess what? It's as scripture says, we return to the dust of the earth. At the end of his life, he was left literally in his living room, in a bed, a medical bed, being cared for by a former tenant that lived at the top of his business who loved him, by an employee, a former employee who loved him, and by his church who loved him. That's all he had left. And he was satisfied. Listen to the other part of that passage. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I, Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. God gave us the desire to be happy, satisfied, peaceful, and full of hope. And Jesus is going to turn the whole idea of how we get this happiness, how we fulfill that desire for happiness. He's going to turn it all over its on his head. He's going to show us that this idea of happiness is not what we think. It doesn't come from the places we have been searching for it. He is going to show us that it is much more, so much more, and that it is permanent. And it withstands time and circumstances. It's a happiness that we would more accurately call joy. That it doesn't get shoved and twisted and turned inside out and ripped apart by the circumstances of our lives. Because there's still circumstances. When Jesus said, I have come to give you life and give you to the fullest, he isn't saying that it's going to be without problems or without disappointments or without pain or without tragedy. He's not saying that for a second. In fact, Jesus also promises that we will have incredibly difficult lives this side of eternity. He's not making a wealth and prosperity promise. He's not. What he's saying is that 
I want to show you a different way. I want to show you a different way. I want you to be satisfied from the inside out. I want to show you how you can have the life that you've always wanted, but it starts at the heart. It doesn't start with what you do or where you have built your identity around. It doesn't start with what other people do to you or don't do to you. It doesn't start with your privilege or your lack of privilege. It doesn't start with your nationality or your lack of of a place to belong. It doesn't start there. It starts from the inside out that it is a matter of the heart. And he goes on to give us the road to that happiness. And if you would join me, we're going to read from Matthew 5, 1 through 12. It's called, it's, it's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And this particular part is called the Beatitudes. We might also call it the beautiful attitudes. The beautiful attitudes that will help us to find this happiness that is so hard to grasp and keep. It's the desire of Jesus, our God, that we would be happy, content, and we'd have a purposeful life full of peace, hope, and joy. It says this. And now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up onto a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way that they persecuted the prophets so, uh, who, were, who were before you. And you're like, what does that have to do with happiness? Because it's all about the inside out. And that word blessed in the original language would be translated happy. That word blessed in the original language would be translated happy. But not a happy based upon this that can happen and that that can or what you can do or what you can accomplish. It's based upon this idea of happiness that is a permanent contentment in God. It's based upon the character of God, the righteousness of God. It's based upon who God is and what he does for us. It's based upon how he views us. It's based upon how much he loves us. It's based upon his grace, his mercy. It's based upon what he does that he never fails and he never surrenders. It's not based upon what we do. Oh, there's actions in this, make no mistake. But it's based upon what he does in us that allows us to live and act that way. And that's where we will find happiness, satisfaction, contentment, even in the face of trials and difficulties. The word would actually be translated happy, fortunate, blissful. The fullest meaning of the term is an inward contentment that is not affected by our circumstances. When was the last time you had that? An inner contentment that is not affected, is not wiped out by your circumstances. 
the promise that Jesus is making. He is saying by using this word that the blessings he will give you will satisfy your soul, your longings, and it will bring you great joy. Even in the midst of disappointment, pain, illness, death, loss, failure. I don't know about you, but I fail on a regular basis. I fail. I fail in my relationships. I fail in that which I attempt to go do. I fail in the way I treat other people. I fail with my words. I fail with my dreams. And by using this word that many times, he's saying that there is contentment for your soul, for your longings, and it will bring you great joy. What will? He will. God will. Jesus will. And in the very first part of these best attitudes, he's telling us how to get in on it. He's telling us how it is that we will receive this great blessing, this happiness. Over 302 times in the Old Testament and the New Testament, so throughout Scripture, over 302 times, this word blessed was used. When a word or theme in Scripture is used that many times, it is considered a command. It is considered a direct truth about God's character and who he is. When a, a specific phrase, when a specific truth is used over and over and over again, it is to solidify the fact that all would know the very character and nature of God and how to live within that character and nature. How to become like that character and that nature. God, as a part of his character, is about us being blessed, happy, satisfied, restful, and not restless. But it's got a different set of standards. It's got a different way of getting there. It's not what we've been used to. See, this is not about whimsical thinking, hopeful wishing, or grand dreaming type of happiness. It's not about that. The blessings that God promises, he is a promise keeper. Because they're based upon his character and who he is, that he will give us this contentment and this assurance. Jesus starts off, this was called the greatest sermon ever preached. He starts it off with the heart. Because that's where it has to start for all of us. In Matthew 5, 3, the very first part, it says this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It will always be a matter of our heart. Blessed are the poor in spirit. He's not saying here, blessed are you when you give away everything you got and you're just poor and impoverished and you're a beggar. He's not saying that. You might be blessed. You might be perfectly content. You might be happy. It might be the exact position that God wants you in. And you might find more freedom in that position than anywhere you've ever been in your life. Now, that could be true. But that's not what this passage is saying. It's not saying, blessed are the poor and then impoverished. For theirs is the kingdom of God. It's not saying that. It's saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who understand that apart from God, they are spiritually destitute. That apart from God, there is this aching and this yearning and this unsatisfied part of our lives. That God intended to only be the one that would satisfy it. Only give us the contentment and the insurance that we were looking for, he himself. To be poor in spirit is 
is to say, look, I really do want to be happy. And to get to that place, yes, God, I need you. I need your love, your mercy, your forgiveness, your grace, and your leadership. Yes, God, I need you. It's getting to the end of myself, my efforts, my understandings, my plans, my accomplishments, and saying, even though, even though, God, I'm accomplished, I'm talented, I'm attractive, I'm wealthy, I'm educated, I'm powerful in occupation or family, I have more than I could ever desire, even though any of those things or all those things might be true of me. Yes, God, I need you. I need you. He's talking about the position of our heart. And without that position, we will forfeit happiness. If you don't come to the end of yourself and come humbly to Jesus saying, yes, God, I need you, then that satisfaction, that longing, will remain unfulfilled in your life. There'll be the temporary moments. Let's not play any games. We can do all sorts of things to feel happy in a temporary moment. Come on. You ever seen a drunk person? They're pretty happy. One of my favorite things to do, my wife and I, don't judge. We love going to bars. I mean, not really the dive bar because, you know, I don't know. I like good food too. So we, we go to a place, we'll, we'll go sit in the bar instead of taking a table. And we sort of uh, watch drunk people a little bit. They make us laugh. Now, I'm not laughing at their state of life. I'm not laughing at their heart. They just say some funny things. And it doesn't take too many shots or beers to suddenly the laughing we get going, right? Been there at different times, haven't we? We know that that's true. Or why are drug use? We're all looking for something. Jumping around from this job to that job to some other job. If I can just make a little bit more money, make a little bit more money. Buying this, buying that, acquiring this, acquiring that. If I can get a little bit more. There's all sorts of things to make you happy. Listen, I don't own one, but every time I get to go out on a jet ski, I'm pretty stinking happy. I mean, we're just, I love it. It's a fun time. And then I got to put it up and pay the bill, and suddenly that's not so fun. I love going on vacation. I got to share with you that I was gone for a week, and just a couple weeks ago, and Man, I loved it. Matter of fact, I woke up every day this last week wishing I was still on vacation. I had so much fun. I was happy the whole time. Woke up whenever I wanted to, went to bed whenever I wanted to, ate whatever I wanted to. That was good. Man, I'm going to get that bill too. Won't be anything happy in that moment, that's for sure. Like credit cards, you don't even know you're spending. That's what it is. But you get what I'm saying, right? Relationships. But this amazing quote that a pastor who was counseling my wife and I before we got married shared. Said this. You won't always like your spouse, but you'll love them. Don't confuse love and like. It's true. My wife and I haven't always been happy. There's moments that haven't always been good. In a relationship, she had plenty of reasons not to be happy with me. She loves me, and I love her. But don't get me wrong. There's a temporary happiness that we can all run after. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, come to me. 
It's the end of yourself. And come to me. And I will make you happy. And then he goes on for the rest of not just the Beatitudes, but the entire Sermon on the Mount and says, and now I'm going to tell you how it works. I take you just the way you are. You come to me and say, yes, God, I need you. And I take you, and I take you with great mercy and amazing grace. I count nothing against you. I forgive you for all you've done in your life. I forgive you for making your own plans, your own choices, for going your own direction. Even though I was the God of all gods, I am the king of all kings. I forgive you for everything. I invite you into this relationship. And then he says this, I make you my son or daughter, giving you an inheritance of my whole kingdom. Does that not match what it says next? It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's be honest. What are we running for around here? What are we driving ourselves nuts for around here? That house, guess what? It's going to get termites someday. Gone. It's going to have mold. The foundation's going to crumble. Something's going to go in. It's going. The kingdom of God is what the reward is for those who say, Lord, yes, I need you. And he says, that's all I've been waiting for you to say because my love absolutely covers a myriad of your sins, all of your attitudes that were swinging the other way. It covers everything. And I receive you as my son, as my daughter, and nobody, nothing. Blessed assurance, we just sang the song, nothing can take that away. It doesn't matter what storms come. It doesn't matter who tries to knock down the building blocks. It doesn't matter how many of them get scattered across the rooms of life. Nothing can take you away from me. And he gets to the end of life and he says, I win. Don't we all want to be on the winning team? And so we go to God and we just simply say, I need you. I know I can't do anything to be in a relationship. I know I keep screwing this thing up. I know I keep putting my hopes and my dreams in other places. But I just want to put them in the midst of you. I want to give them to you. And he says, great is your reward. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In Isaiah 57, 15, it says, The high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the holy one, says this. That's God. He says, I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. He revives us. We say, yes, Lord, I need you. And boom, he's doing that CPR. He pulled out the paddles. I get to live and I live fully. I don't live partially. I live with new dreams, new desires, new aspirations. And they're all directed and guided by God. The one who knows all things, is all things, was past, is present, as is in the future. That's the God that we say, yes, Lord, I need you. Because my definition of happiness has been lacking and wanting. He wants us to recognize our spiritual poverty so that he can make us spiritually rich and raise us up. James 4.10, it says, humble yourself in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Look, to come to the end of myself is where we will find blessing. Happiness is when I finally come to the end of myself. I want to read you three different stories. I'm going to read. I hope they're a blessing to you. But there are three different people that came to the end of themselves and they received the blessing of God. A Roman officer came 
and pleaded with Jesus, Lord, my young servant lies in bed paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. But the officer said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth. I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. Then Jesus said to the Roman officer, the powerful. He said to the powerful, go back home because you believe it has happened. And the young servant was healed that same hour. The powerful who could have called in legions, who could have called in people to help, who could have called in anything he wanted to, humbled himself, came to the end of himself, went to Jesus on behalf of his servant and said, heal my servant. And he said, you only have to speak the word. I understand your great power and position in the universe. I understand who you are. And so I've come to the end of myself. Just say the word. Jesus entered Jericho. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore tree beside the road where Jesus was going to pass by. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your house today. Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He had gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. Lord, if I have cheated people, Lord, if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. He didn't say that because, because Zacchaeus said, I'm willing to give back or I'm willing to do something. He said it because you get it. You came to the end of yourself. You're even willing to humiliate yourself and climb up a tree so that you could see me. I came and had dinner with you, and you called me Lord. You came to the end of yourself, even though you had riches and wealth that you could have provided for yourself, and you said, Lord, I need you. And then based upon that new contentment, based upon that new understanding of you and who you are and the surrender of yourself to me, you said, now I'm going to act like Christ. One of the criminals hanging beside him, him being Jesus on the cross, scoffed, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too. While you're at it. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said. Jesus remember me. When you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied. I assure you today. You will be with me in paradise. The powerful. The rich. And the condemned all came to the end of themselves and said, Lord, I need you. And their reward was the kingdom of heaven. Their reward was eternal happiness. Their reward was absolute spiritual satisfaction. Far different than the person I talked to on Friday. And having this conversation with her, I was getting excited because she didn't go anywhere. And I'm like, hey, uh, you, you, uh, what are you doing on this weekend? And she's like, oh, I was just hanging out with my kids. We're not doing a whole lot. I'm like, oh, really? 
You got kids, that's pretty exciting. I got some place maybe you want to be. I go, do you go to church anywhere? And she goes, no, 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 no. I grew up going to church, and I kind of stopped all that stuff. I'm like, oh, okay, no problem. She goes, yeah, and I married my husband. He doesn't have any, any history of church or God or anything like that at all. But, you know, I do got to say is that I've been, I've been kind of trying to figure it out a little bit, and I think my kids need some you know, moral guidance. I'm like, well, church is a great place to get that. And she goes, yeah, but my husband, we're not on the same page with that. You see, he's one of those alpha males. And he says, I don't need anybody telling me what to do. We can take that route too. I want you to watch this video. It's part of the videos that we're going to be watching during our, our life groups. Now, there's a big story here. You're not going to get the whole story because it's a long one. We've cut it up. We've diced it up. But what I want you to see is a woman who got to the end of herself, another woman who got the end of herself, and what God does when you're willing to be at the end of yourself. I was working at an agency that did video production and I kept getting opportunities to sort of climb the corporate ladder. And so monetarily, it felt very fulfilling to, to be getting raises and more responsibility. As I kept growing in my work, in my career, it was never enough. I remember feeling very discontent all of the time. There was this unsatisfying discontentment they kept growing larger and larger. This is not what I was created to do. Why do we exist? What were we created for? Esther is the story about a woman who God uses for such a time as this. It was like God brought that story to life for me and it was almost like I was Esther in the story and I was asking and seeking God, okay, so I'm here. What do you want to do? I had like a spiritual awakening, if you will, where God really started impressing upon my heart what my purpose was. And I remember just having an overwhelming sense of Jesus has asked me to go somewhere. So I was willing to go to India. I was willing to go to Africa. I was willing to go to anywhere. I was willing to do anything. I would just pray, okay, God, Whenever you want to speak to me, whatever you want to use me for, I'm here today. I was driving down the highway beside the Theater X in Clarksville, and God just spoke to my spirit so clearly, and He said, I want you to go and bring my love and my hope to women in that place. I had no idea what it was about. I hadn't heard of another ministry. I hadn't heard of anything about the industry up to this point. I called my husband and said, God's called me to go to women in the sex industry to share the gospel with them. The first thing out of his mouth was, yes, that's what Jesus would do. I was totally taken back by it because I was expecting a completely different response. He asks me when I get home that night, what do you want to, to do? And I said, I don't know. I guess we need to pray about it and we need to fast about it. So I literally spent a year and a half praying and fasting and telling people and researching and trying to figure out what it is that God was calling me specifically to do. We went into one club in, in town. We sat down at the bar, ordered a Coke, and the bartender looks at us and says, what are you all doing here? and we were clearly out of place. 
And I just remember smiling at her and saying, Jesus called me to do something kind and loving for you all. Can I bring a home-cooked meal into this club? And she looked at me and said, no. That was the most insane thing she had ever heard. A little bit later, we were at the other side of the bar and we were sitting on a table and my friend Sarah was talking and I could not hear her. All I could hear was God and he's the spirit. And he said, go over to this man. So I get up, I walk straight over to a man, the one man out of 50, and he was the owner of the club. And I said, hi, my name's Rochelle. I'm not here for a job, but I'm here because Jesus has sent me here to do something kind and loving for the women in this club. Can I bring a home-cooked meal in? And literally his jaw dropped down and he said, what's the catch? And I said, there is no catch. I don't have a catch. And he said, when can you come in? And he opened his door to let us start serving every single week. That Thursday night, four days later, I was in the club and I saw a woman across the room. She was staggering around. She had a blue sweater on, jeans on, and a bag over her shoulder. And I remember thinking, I don't know if she's a dancer or who she is, but she looks like she's kind of drunk. So I'm gonna ask her if she wants something to eat. She said, I have five children at home that have not eaten in, in a week. And she said, someone told me that I could come up to this club and make fast money. And so I'm here. But she said, when I got here, the, the manager told me I had to take off all of my clothes. And I've never done that before. So I, I went to the bar and got drunk. And I said, well, honey, let, let me get you over here and we'll feed you and we'll pack up food for you to take home with your kids. She takes the mac and cheese spoon and she starts shoveling it into her mouth from the pan. And so my friend says to me, she's probably gonna throw up because she is drunk. So I pick up the pan and I go over to the side and right as I did that, she threw up down the front of me. And I'm thinking, God, why did this just happen? She looks at me and says, will you pray with me? Of course, I said, yes. So I grab her hands, we're face to face, throw up on us. I started praying, God, save this woman. And in the middle of my prayer, she drops to her knees and starts crying out to God like I have never experienced before. She's weeping, I'm weeping. Everybody in the club was looking at us. At this point, the music goes off. People are just standing there staring at us and she is crying out to God for help help for her children, herself, God save me. She stands up and she's still about as close to me as, as my hand is to my face. And she says to me, I just met Jesus here. And she said to me, I have hope today. The owner of the club came over to her and said, you need to leave, you're being disruptive. So they called her a cab and we start to load up all our food and her stuff and we're taking her out. And I just looked at her and I said, what is your name? And she looked at me with a smile on her face and she said, my name is Scarlett. And I remember knowing that Jesus was there, that I was in the presence of our God in a strip club. I remember the Spirit just affirming that this is what He made me for and this is what He's called me to do. All of the discontentment that had gone on for years went away. 
and it's, it really has not ever come back. find happiness. All will be blessed when they come to the end of themselves and say, God, I need you. I need you. Did you understand something about that word bless? Blessing in scripture. When we come to the end of ourselves, what is left? Blessing. When we're obedient, what is left? Blessing. Blessing in scripture is always this. Always. It starts with this. The presence of God. The presence of God. His promise and the very first best attitude. When we say, God, I need you. He says, you got it. And you got all of me. Not part of it. Not part of me. All of me. I don't know where you're at today. But the rest of that passage that we looked at in the very beginning says this. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever wants to enter through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. But I have come. that They may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. That is what Jesus' promises is. It's what his promise is. He did all the work. He made all the sacrifices. He paid all the prices. And he holds his arms open, the same arms that were on the cross. And he says, come to me. All you who are weary and weak, tired of building your own blocks, making it all add up your way, come to me. And blessed you'll be. For yours will be the kingdom of heaven. And how do you do that? You just say, yes, God, I need you. Yeah, I was doing it my own way. Yeah, I made a mess of it. But I need you. Join me in prayer this morning. Father, we do. We need you. We need to surrender our lives to you. We need to, to lay our lives down at your feet. We need to come to the end of ourselves and know that you are where hope is at, that you are where we find peace, that you are where life makes sense. You organize and you orchestrate things from the beginning of time till the end of time, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. You, you offer us peace and hope where no one else can give it to us. Father, forgive us for turning our backs on you. Forgive us for ignoring you. Forgive us for trying to add it up and make sense of it ourselves. But thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for not holding it against us. And thank you for giving us your kingdom, causing us your sons and daughters, giving us the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realm. But greater than all of that, thank you for giving us yourself. And so, Father, this morning we humble ourselves and we come before you and say, yes, God. Yes, Jesus. I need you. And Father, thank you for answering that immediately. And that you have already 
offered yourself to us. Thank you for the blessing, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. We ask you to keep this card. If you prayed any type of prayer like that today, if you were like, yeah, I need Jesus, would you do me a favor? Just put a star on it. Just write up in the corner. I don't want you to do anything else. You don't have to find the right line. You don't have to write something down. Would you put a star on that? Just put a star on it. Let us know you did it. We want to call you. Make no mistake. It is not a, it, we're not asking you for anything. We want to help you know what it means. We want to help you know what it means to say, yes, I said yes to Jesus. You don't have to suddenly start coming here every week. We're not going to ask you to pay $100,000. We're not going to ask you to do anything. We want to help you understand what that means. Would you put a little star on it? Let us know. And for the next three weeks, we're going to keep looking at this idea of happiness, this blessed life that God offers us through Jesus Christ. Because there's more to it. That's where it starts. That's just the beginning. And he unpacks for us how we get to live every day in this incredible blessed life, how we get to live every day as one of his sons and daughters, and what that looks like. And he's going to unpack it for us. So for the next three weeks, would you join us? Would you be here with us? And learn what the happy life really is, what it really is.